The epistle for this 14th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 5. Brethren, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary one to another, so that you do not the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are fornication, uncleanness, immodesty, luxury, idolatry, witchcrafts, enmities, contentions, emulations, wraths, quarrels, dissensions, sects, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I foretell you, as I have foretold you, that they who do such things shall not obtain the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is charity, joy, peace, patience, benignity, goodness, longanimity, mildness, faith, modesty, continency, chastity. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with devices and concupiscences. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will sustain the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not be solicitous for your life what you shall eat, nor for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, and the body more than the raiment? Behold the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into their barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of much more value than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And for raiment, why are you solicitous? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not labor, nor did they spin. But I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed as one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more you, O you of little faith? Do not be solicitous, therefore, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or how shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the heathens seek. For your Father knows that you have need of all these things. Seek you, therefore, first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all those things shall be added unto you. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, I'm always telling my students that if the main reason why our Lord came down on this earth was to save our souls, our Lord had to attack the main reason why we don't save our souls, the main sin which keeps us from going to heaven. And of course, if anybody goes to hell, the reason will be because of their pride. And so our Lord, when he came on this earth, he had to practice the virtue of humility to an extraordinary degree. St. Thomas Aquinas, he says that the prophet that comes to us from our Lord's life comes to us chiefly through our Lord's humility because of the fact that it's our pride that needs to be defeated. This is why our Lord tells us to learn of him, not for just any virtue, but because of that specific virtue of his meekness and humility of heart. But 
pride was not the only sin, is not the only sin that has kept and continues to keep souls from going to heaven. Our Lord had to just not attack pride. There is another sin that isn't as bad as pride, but it's just as pervasive as pride, and that is the sin of impurity. You know that Our Lady of Fatima said that, that more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh than because of any other sin, any other reason. So when our Lord came, he did not only need to practice a very great humility if he was going to save us from our sins, he also had to practice a very great purity. The world into which our Lord entered, in which he came to convert, was extremely impure. As you know, he came into a world dominated by the Romans. He lived in a place that was part of the Roman Empire. And here's what Pope Leo XIII says in his encyclical on marriage, Arcanum Divinae, about sort of the, the situation with regards to marriage at that time. The Romans of old are said to have shrunk with horror from the first example of divorce, but ere long, all sense of decency was blunted in their soul. The meager restraint of passion died out, and the marriage vow was so often broken that what some writers have affirmed would seem to be true, namely, women used to reckon years not by the change of consuls, but of their husbands. When that was the Roman world, but this existed also throughout the empire, the whole empire, and that's why when the first council of the church met in Jerusalem and the leaders of the church at that time were trying to decide what sort of obligations they would place upon the newly converted Gentiles. Do we have them observe the whole of the, of the Jewish law or do we not? They ended up deciding, no, we're just going to have them, we're going to bind them to do three things. First of all, that they not eat blood or strangled animals, because this was so odious to the Jews, and Jews just couldn't be around anybody who was eating blood or strangled animals, that they not eat things sacrificed to the idols, and that they not commit fornication. So from, from the fact that they have to state this as, as a law, it seems obvious that the Gentiles thought nothing of the sin of fornication. And as a result, we have this picture of the Roman Empire as being a very impure place. And that's why when St. Paul, when he's speaking to all these different towns of Gentiles that he has converted, he's constantly exhorting them not to fall into sins of impurity. Today, he's warning the Galatians about the flesh warring against the spirit. He lists, and St. Paul loves lists, he, he lists 14 sins, but the first three are fornication, uncleanness, and impurity. He tells the Thess Thessalonians that it's the will of God for them to abstain from fornication. The Ephesians, that fornication should not be heard of among them. The Colossians, that the wrath of God comes down upon pagans because of fornication. And the, the Corinthians, to fly fornication. This was like a global problem. Impurity was a global problem. It's still a global problem. It will probably always be a global problem. 
a main obstacle to the salvation of souls. That was the world that our Lord came to convert. It was a very impure world, and he, he had come to save it. And the only way he was going to do it was by the practice of a very great purity. What do you think was the main remedy that our Lord brought to cure human unfilthiness? It was the state of consecrated virginity. Our Lord explicitly chose to live a life of virginity. He chose a mother who was a virgin. He chose a foster father who was a virgin. He chose the virgin apostle, St. John, to be the companion of his mother after his own death. Pope Pius XII, he says that holy virginity and perfect chastity consecrated to God is among the most precious treasures that our Lord bequeathed to his church. That this was a gift from our Lord to his church, a treasure that she was to preserve and propagate to the end of time, not just the dogmas of the church, but also the practices instituted by our Lord. And the first Catholics, they immediately understood the import of the example that our Lord had given them. The very first records of the church in the Acts of the Apostles speak of the four virgin daughters of the deacon Philip. And we know there's so many stories of those first Christians living a consecrated state. And what we have to understand is this was something totally new in the entire history of the world. Never had it been known that there was a class of people who lived a life of consecrated chastity. The pagans never had such a thing. The, the Romans had vestal virgins, but, but their virginity was limited to a certain age. Once they reached a certain age, they were free from their service temple and could get married. And it also never existed in the Old Testament because of God's will that the, the chosen people propagate themselves. They have as many children as possible. So what made it exist, what made this state of consecrated life, of consecrated virginity exist, was the example of our Lord, the fact that he lived that life, and his invitation to those who would be perfect to take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But I need to get back to my main topic, and this is that our Lord came to save the world in one way in which he would do it was by leading that life of perfect chastity. How does this save the world, you may ask? Well, the church answers this question in the gospel of today. Our, our Lord's own words in the gospel of today answer this question when he says that it's impossible for us to serve two masters. We can't serve both the spirit and the flesh. We can't serve both our souls and our bodies. You only have one heart in the end. And, and one heart can only love one object as its primary object. And if you try to sort of break that heart apart and have it go in two different directions, two, two main objects that, it's, that it loves, of course, your heart dies. Any, any heart that is broken is, is going to die. So, so you, you, you only have one heart, and you can't divide your heart into two different primary loves. You can only love one thing. You're only going to love, as a primary love, your soul or your body. Either your soul will be the master, and your body will be the slave, 
or your body will be the master and your soul will be the slave. There's no other way. Or in St. Paul's language, we will either walk in the spirit or we will walk in the lusts of the flesh. Those who walk in the spirit will crucify their flesh. They will dominate their flesh and all of its vices and concupiscences. And so they will rule over it. They will gain total mastery over it. Those who walk in the flesh, on the other hand, they will defile their bodies and crucify not their flesh, but their consciences. They will continually put to death their own conscience, which is speaking against the lust of the flesh. And so they will be ruled over by the flesh. But Father, you're saying to yourself, I thought, <laughs> you know, you were talking about a life of consecrated virginity as saving souls. But I mean, the vast majority of people do not live a, a life of consecrated virginity, and not, not everyone is called to the religious life. So are you saying that only people who enter the religious life are able to save their souls? No, definitely not. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that, that everybody is called to the religious life. That's why our Lord says, if thou will be perfect. I'm not commanding you to do this. It's an option. What I'm saying is this, and, and this is where we have to pay very close attention because this is the main point. Our Lord came into a world like our own world where impurity was everywhere. People were slaves of their flesh and they were losing their souls as a result. He adopted a life of consecrated virginity and by doing so, he created a new class of people, the people we call consecrated religious. And those religious, they went out into the world they spread out all around the Roman Empire. They were instituted. That, that way of life became an institute wherever the faith was spread. And everybody has to practice chastity to some degree. Those who are not married, they must abstain from all willful sexual thoughts, words, and deeds. Those who are married must abstain from all sexual thoughts, words, and deeds about anyone other than their spouse. And when you have going out into society, a whole class of people, whole groups of people who are living a state of consecrated virginity, there's two things that happen to those who are not living that state. First of all, those who are not living in the religious life are strengthened in the practice of chastity in their own state of life. This is what uh, Pius XII says in his, his encyclical on holy virginity, sacra virginitas. Married people and even those who are captives of vice at the contact of virgin souls often admire the splendor of their transparent purity and feel themselves moved to rise above the pleasures of sense. A married man, for instance, he's encouraged to be faithful to his wife when he sees men who are living a life of celibacy, or an unmarried woman is encouraged to preserve her purity undefiled when she sees the radiant joy and holiness of a nun. The fathers always saw the consecrated life as a sort of continuation of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the, the, there's a certain type of life, the, the way that he lived his life was being replicated and reproduced in every age until the end of time. And so everybody would have 
hopefully, God willing, if there were enough religious around, an example of that same life that our Lord lived. And having that life before their eyes, faithfully lived, is a great encouragement to the faithful to live a spiritual life that has that mastery over the flesh. And this is also why it's such a great scandal when religious or or priests fall. That's why you have to pray very hard for for priests, for monks, and, and for nuns, that they remain faithful to their vows. It's much worse for a religious to fall into impurity than someone in the world. Because when that happens, and people know about it, when it becomes a public scandal, people begin to think to themselves, well, if this person cannot practice chastity, then it's impossible to do so. There's no way anybody can really do it if if people who are living that holy of a life fall. Who am I to stand? The second thing that happens when you have religious go out and implant themselves in society is that society itself becomes more spiritual. When you have a society that only contains those who are married and those who are on the way to marriage, then society kind of remains on the natural level. But when the supernatural society of the church comes along, when it's instituted, it introduces that third class of people. Now it's just not the the married and those on the way to marriage. There's also that third class of people of those who have foregone marriage in order explicitly to live a state of consecrated virginity so that they can focus their lives entirely on God. And if you compare a society where there is no class of people leading that holy supernatural state of life to a society where there is such a class of people, it should be obvious that a society that has consecrated religious is going to be a society that's much better for leading souls to heaven, for inspiring souls to the practice of chastity, to to the living of the chastity to which they're called in their state of life. So my dear Fifo, let's be clear, this is not a sermon for vocations. This is is not me trying, uh, well, at least directly, to encourage vocations. I wish, of course, that that many in our parish would would one day um, choose to try out, uh, discern the vocation in the religious life. Rather, this sermon is meant to encourage you to live a spiritual life, not a life of the flesh, to encourage you to gain mastery over your flesh by practicing the chastity that's demanded in your state in life. Our Lord came down on this earth to save you from the slavery to your own body and the impure inclinations that we all have. He gave you that example of perfect chastity. He created a class of people who, to the glory of the church, for the past 2,000 years, have been living a consecrated state that replicates the own life that, that he lived. We know that the very pagans of his world were converted from living lives of fornication to living lives of spiritual mastery over their bodies through the influence of our Lord and the church that he founded. And we live today in this hyper-sexualized world. People have such ready access to filth through their technological devices. It's so much easier to access 
rubbish, um, impure things that, that do damage, very great damage to our souls. It's just at the tip of our fingertips. And what you must make sure is that you use the resources that the Catholic Church provides to you. You have that, that blessed example of our Lord. You have his own body and blood in Holy Communion. That's the main thing that, that makes us spiritual in this life. You belong to the church where the state of consecrated virginity is given a pride of place and is meant to encourage you in that struggle against the flesh. And you must make sure you do nothing else in this life, you must make sure that your soul gains mastery over your flesh in this life. You have to purge your life of explicit images and videos if they have any presence in your life. You have to break all impure habits of mortal sin. And above all, you have to seek a greater union with our Lord and our Lady by practicing the chastity that corresponds to your state in life. This is the great fruit we are able to achieve that freedom of soul where our soul is able to fly up to God because the flesh is put in its proper place. Meanwhile, of course, let, let us also pray that God grant many more religious vocations to the church. I mentioned a few weeks ago that Our, our Lady of Buen Successo, she, she predicted that, that in our age there would be very few virgins remaining and we can say that people in society today are suffering from this slavery to the flesh because there are so few left to give them that example of a consecrated life of chastity. Sometimes, you know, a priest or a nun meet people and, and, and people are just astonished that that sort of life even exists, that it can exist. Is it even humanly possible to do such a thing? The church has proved for, for 2,000 years that it is humanly possible. Pius XII says in his encyclical that on the natural level, it is impossible. It's not possible to, to any human being to have that kind of strength. But with the grace of God, with a supernatural help that, that raises you above the natural level, it is possible. The church has proved that, and it is supposed to be a great strength. But let us, let us definitely practice the, the chastity that corresponds to our state in life, and also pray for many vocations with Pope Pius XII. He says, may God grant that new and larger ranks of priests, religious men and women, equal in number and virtue to the current necessities of the church, soon go forth to cultivate the vineyard of the Lord. When this happens, we may be assured that society will be raised up with a new supernatural strength and the kingdom of our Lord, who is our true master in this life, will also be built up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.